We're going to read uh, just the same passage as we've been reading in previous weeks since we began uh, this uh, uh, series of, of teaching um, in, from what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And although the crowds are surrounding Jesus, uh, he really focused his teaching uh, on his disciples, uh, on, on how to display the goodness and the glory of God to, to a watching world and in what we call the, the Beatitudes. And each Beatitude really is like a, it's like a proverb, sort of a proverb-like proclamation um, that at first it's, it's hard to grasp when you, when you read it because each of these, these Beatitudes are uh, counterintuitive. In other words, they go against the normal way of, of seeing and of living uh, life. life. Um, for instance, if a red light was suddenly to mean go and, and a green light was suddenly to mean stop, that would be highly counterintuitive because we're, we're used to, we're, we're trained uh, to, to believe that a red light, uh, light means stop and a green light means go. And the counterintuitive is sort of going against the grain. But as we begin to understand uh, uh, these Beatitudes, someone has described them as helping us to live right side up in an upside down world. And I think if we were to spend a little time just back and forth talking about that, I think we would agree that we're living in an upside down world. A lot of the things that, that, that we, we took for granted have been switched around and it's not, uh, it's not the way it should be. And it's becoming increasingly uh, like that. The actual noun for beatitude, it, it refers to a state of great joy or being, being blessed. Or as we said a few weeks ago, living in such a way that our lives attract the applause of heaven. God's applause. He looks down and he sees how you live your life. And he sees how I live my life. And he's, he's clapping. He's giving us an applause and saying, yeah, keep going. You're doing well. That's what I like to see. The applause of heaven. In other words, when we live out these beatitudes, and, and Julie talked about them being be-attitudes, not do-attitudes, uh, people won't be able to help but see that God is at work in our lives. So we're going to read uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, right from the beginning, uh, just the passage that we're, we're considering. Uh, this is the fourth week, actually. The first week we talked about what the word blessed means, or blessed, and really means happiness. How happy are they who whatever it is. And then we looked at the first, uh, the first two Beatitudes. Without looking at your Bible, what's the first one? Remember back a few weeks? Well, don't look at your Bible, even. Lift your head up. The first Beatitude, blessed are the... Somebody's saying it. Who's saying it? Poor in spirit. That's right, Yvonne, the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And tonight we come to the third beatitude. You have good memories. That's good. That's good. Now when he saw the crowds, verse 1 of chapter 5, that's Jesus. He went up into a mountainside and he sat down. That was an indication that he was going to teach back in those days. And his disciples, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. 
and blessed or happy are those who are persecuted even because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you and we say amen to the public reading of of God's word so we come to this third beatitude tonight, or this third characteristic, really, uh, of a true disciple or a true follower of Jesus, uh, which uh, has to do with being meek. Uh, and I, I've called this message uh, kind of a strange title, uh, if you like, the unique physique of the meek. Um, the word physique, uh, it means the shape of something or the profile of something. And we've been seeing in this, in this teaching series how each beatitude, it builds on the ones before, the preceding beatitudes. Each new beatitude flows out from the others, uh, combining to describe the character of a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And of course, you know this too, that life, life itself is the classroom in which uh, God, use, God uses for building Christian character as things happen in our lives. He uses them to build our character. And these character qualities are not natural, but they're supernatural. Uh, and Jesus taught these to his disciples so that his father would get the glory out of the way that they were going to live their lives. Now, they weren't perfect, and neither are you or me. But later on, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 16, In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds or good works and praise or glorify your Father in heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't so much focus on the outward performance uh, of our lives like going to church or giving or even serving. His concern is much deeper and he describes what the spiritual physique or the inner profile of a disciple should be through these particular beatitudes, and of course in many other ways as well. Now in understanding what Jesus was saying in the beatitudes so far, we've learned that Jesus was saying we're blessed indeed if we come to realize how bankrupt we are as sinners before a holy God, and how absolutely dependent we are on his amazing grace. And I hope you know that tonight. The realization of this poverty of spirit then leads us to experience the, the blessed comfort of God as we experience sorrow in the in, inevitable uh, natural losses and ups and downs of life, as well, of course, as mourning over our sins when we're sensitive to sin and we realize that we've sinned before God. We need to be sensitive to that and to mourn over that and the spiritual condition even as well of other lost people and hurting people and a world that's so sin-sick and so rebellious towards God. So here in verse 5, as we come to it, we have one more characteristic that's added, one more beatitude to this profile that Jesus gives us of a genuinely joyful and blessed Christian. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. First of all, uh, just to give you a recap, we saw our sin, the beatitude of being poor in spirit. Secondly, we, we, we sought our sorrow, the beatitude of mourning. And today or tonight, we're going to see the next progression in discipleship, which is submission, the beatitude of meekness. You know, one of, one of Satan's strategies, shrewdest tactics, really, is to confuse the teaching of Scripture or the truth with distortions and with misinterpretations so that those who read 
the word of God or hear the word of God will lack a clear understanding of how to apply it to their lives. And so let me begin by, by pointing out that meekness, being meek, is not a natural thing because we can't cultivate the grace of God ourselves. It comes from God. Now, according to the world in which we live, meekness is not simply being nice, but meekness uh, is not something that we can get biologically. Some people uh, are just naturally nice people, aren't they? We know that. We know some of them. Maybe you're a naturally nice person. I don't know you all that well, but I'm sure you are. But then again, some dogs are naturally nicer than other dogs. And other dogs that bite the arm off you, right? Um, so being nice and easy to get along with doesn't mean that a, that a person is, not, is necessarily meek. The very nature of a grace is that it comes as a gift from God. It's not natural to the flesh. It can't be worked up by attending a, a meekness conference or, or reading a manual on meekness uh, techniques. What Jesus is speaking about here uh, stands in sharp contrast to, to the, the, the normal way of the world because it's a kingdom characteristic brought about by the Holy Spirit uh, in the new birth. And so we mustn't uh, categorize meekness or gentleness as simply the quiet disposition that some people have as part of their personality. It's not a personality trait. It's a character quality. Meekness describes your manner, not your nature. See, the Beatitudes are not goals for us to aim for, but gifts of God's transforming grace as we live in submission and obedience to him. And that will characterize all those who really know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth is that apart from God's grace, none of us can attain any of these discipleship characteristics by ourselves because they're evidence of his lordship. D.A. Carson is a great uh, uh, writer, uh, pastor, theologian, and he has written a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, the scriptures make much of meekness. And so it's the more appalling, he says, that meekness does not characterize more of us who claim to be Christians. Meekness has not been the mark of most Christians for a long time. Now the words of Jesus, these words that we're focusing on, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, they were really radical back then. They were counterintuitive because meekness and inheriting the earth just didn't seem to go together in the Jewish mindset back in the day. In the first century, Jewish people believed that the only way to inherit the land, or more accurately, to get back to the land that God had given them, was to overthrow the Roman government. And they looked and they hoped for a Messiah who would be more like a, super, a superman. Someone who would swoop down with great might and power and usher in a kingdom of military might. Someone who would chase the Romans all the way back to Italy. And so it was a perplexing statement to them back then. And if it was back then, it doesn't make any more sense, I think, in our culture today than it did 2019 years ago. It's a beatitude that's completely contrary to the thinking of our modern world. Now, we don't have the Romans to worry about in that sense, but our society doesn't respect meekness any more than the Jews did. Our culture honors strength and power and self-assurance and aggressiveness. And we're aggressive in most things that we do, from business to sports to politics to everything. 
And according to today's way of thinking, the people who exhibit initiative and power and strength are the ones who are going to inherit the earth, not the meek. You see, because for most people, when you, they hear the word meek, they think of weak. No one wants to be thought of as weak. I'm sure you don't, and I don't. But you know, a quick check of uh, the thesaurus, which is a, like a, a dictionary that, that gives you alternative words for for words, and when you check the thesaurus about meek, some of the listed alternatives or synonyms are called are docile, mild, calm, gentle, peaceful, tame, submissive, soft, even spineless, and passive. And while some of those words are positive, many aren't. And another source lists the following phrases as being illustrative of meekness. Meekness means to eat dirt, to lick the dust, to cringe like a dog, to take it on the chin, or someone who's as meek as a mouse. I read of a lady who said to her husband, are you a man or are you a mouse? Well, squeak up. Think about that on the way home. Um, and just, just putting those words that I've mentioned or phrases into this beatitude you know, what would you get? Blessed are the spineless, for they will inherit the earth. That doesn't sound right, does it? Or how about, blessed are those who cringe like a dog. It's hard to imagine Jesus or, or anyone else saying that. The conventional wisdom of the world in which we live, it has taught us that if you want to be someone important, if you want to be going somewhere in life, if you want to inherit your share of the earth, then be aggressive. Don't let people push you around. Be confident. Look after number one, but don't be meek. You know, it's interesting, I don't know if you've realized this, how the use of words change or evolve over time. For instance, way back when, the Greeks viewed the kidneys as the seat of affection. So that one might say, I love you with all my kidneys. That's what they used to say back then, or at least imply. Imagine saying that today to your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. I love you with all my kidneys. That just wouldn't, uh, wouldn't come across too well. It's laughable to us, but it wasn't back in that time frame. And you know, about 30 years ago, the words bad or wicked or sick implied something negative or something wrong, didn't they? But now the cultural effect on our language has made those words a reference to something that implies good. You know, young people say, that's sick. That means it's good, right? Or, or, or they say, oh, that's wicked. And, and, and it, it really means, you know, I'm enjoying that. That's, that's great. I love that. Um, and so language changes uh, how we regard some words and what they mean. And these things are strange to our ears, and yet it's part of the, as I say, the evolution of language in our day, and so too with the word meekness, because it conveys certain ideas that have been colored uh, by our culture. A meek person is often thought uh, as someone who is a little bit mousy, uh, timid as a mouse, extraordinarily quiet, who keeps their head down when they're in a crowd. I read that at one time in the past, a man named Upton Dixon, U-P-T-O-N, Upton Dixon, he began a club and he called it 
the dependent order of really meek and timid souls. You can look this up on the internet. And the first letter of each word in the uh, acrostic, it, it forms a door, uh, doormats, the word doormats. You see that? The dependent order of really meek and timid souls. And they had an official logo. It was a yellow caution light. And their official motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody else. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, I'm pretty sure that's not what, uh, what he was talking about, that kind of organization or mindset. But when most people think uh, someone is meek, that's pretty much what they, what they think. They think about doormats, someone you can walk over, someone who's quiet and unassuming and easily pushed around. A.W. Tozer once wrote, the meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. In his moral life, he may be as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God has declared him to be, but paradoxically, at the same time, he knows that in the sight of God, he is of more importance than even angels. In himself, he's nothing, but in God, everything. That's a, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. And in the Bible, actually, we're told about two particular individuals who are described as being meek. Uh, the first one's described in Numbers chapter 12 and verse, verse 3. In the King James Version, it says, Moses was very meek above all the men that were on the face of the earth. Now, Moses is not someone that I would describe, and I'm sure you wouldn't, as a doormat, easily pushed around. Uh, when, when I think of Moses, I think of the way he was portrayed by Charlton Heston, you know, coming down off Mount Sinai, carrying the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 32, when Moses heard the people partying in the camp below, he became overwhelmed with righteous anger. And he broke the two tablets of stone to pieces. You remember that. And he ground the golden calf that they had been worshipping into dust. And he mixed it with the drinking water of the camp and he commanded them to drink it. So Moses isn't someone I'd ordinarily see as being meek, uh, but someone you wouldn't want to mess around with. And then the second person who was described as meek, you know who it is, I'm sure, that's Jesus himself. who spoke of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. And remember the first prayer that most children learn is, starts out with these words, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And despite the tendency of Hollywood and, and the culture to paint Jesus as some kind of warm, fuzzy-wuzzy sort of person, I can't see Jesus as a kind of a doormat either. For the better part of his life, he was a carpenter used to working with saws and hammers and forming wood and, and so on. Jesus was the most powerful a man who ever lived, and yet his power was always under his father's control. He got righteously angry when the money changers uh, were in the temple, but he never lost his temper. He rebuked the Pharisees, but he ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. He could raise the dead, cast out demons, calm a stormy sea, yet he didn't debate Pilate, and he didn't curse Herod, and he didn't fight the soldiers. As the old gospel song says, he could have called 10,000 angels but he died alone for you and for me. You see, meek people 
are not weak people. True meekness is absolute power under perfect control. Meek people have learned not to respond defensively with a kind of a chip on their shoulder or demanding their rights. You know, we live in a world that, that's very defensive and it's filled with a, uh, a noise of people demanding their rights and their rights be protected. You know, a misspoken comment leads to a lawsuit these days. An argument between youth leads not to a fist fight like it used to years ago after school, but to knife attacks and gunshots at night. And everywhere it seems people are responding to life with unrestrained defensiveness. But the meek person is willing to let someone else correct them or even challenge them at times, not because they're capable of fighting back, but because they have recognized that it may do them good to learn the hard lessons of, of, of life of being self-restrained or self-disciplined. Biblical scholar William Barclay, uh, in his commentary, refers to a meek person as one who has every instinct under control, every impulse, every passion, every ounce of strength has been harnessed. You know, the word, that word meek in itself, it's used at least in three different contexts uh, in, in its original form. And taken together, I think they, they, they go somewhat towards helping us understand how we can demonstrate meekness in our own lives. Uh, Greek doctors use the word meek to describe a soothing medicine. Now, if too little medicine is given, uh, it wouldn't work. If too, uh, or if too little is given, it won't work. And if too much is prescribed, it can hurt or it can kill. But the proper amount would help. Meek was also used back in the day by sailors to describe a, a gentle breeze that blew in from the ocean. Not like this, this storm that's coming supposedly from the Atlantic towards us tonight. But wind itself can, it can rage and it can do great damage as we know. But when it blows gently, it brings a certain comfort. And then in the animal world, the word was most commonly used to describe a wild stallion that had been tamed. A broken horse, you know, is still very powerful, but its power is now under the control of the bridle. And the common thread in these descriptions is that meekness represents different forms of power that can be used for positive or negative and destructive purposes. You know, you can do one of three things with a wild stallion. Don't know if you've ever had a wild stallion or a wild horse running around. You can let him run wild, or you can corral him and, and, and just lock him up. Or you can break his independence and bridle him and put the force of his energy to good work. And that's a picture of meekness. You see, God's desire is not to let us run wild. Many people today think it's in their best interest to be totally free from all restraints. But we know that such behavior usually leads to sin and to sorrow, even to death. And others feel that we, we must corral our passions. But usually that leads to legalism. And, and displeasing God in that way. But God's desire is to take all of our passions, all of our energies, all of our talents and personality, everything, and bridle them under his leadership and control. And that is God's way of blessing us and blessing others through us. The Nelson Bible Dictionary defines meekness as an attitude of humility towards God and gentleness towards men. 
springing from the recognition that God is in control of everything. And so in the context of this Sermon on the Mount and this Beatitude, Jesus was saying, blessed or happy, you'll draw the applause of heaven. Uh, The man who is not self-controlled, but God-controlled. And so when it comes to Christian discipleship, the meek person is someone who moment by moment is prepared to yield their life and their living to the will of God. See, the meek person isn't hypersensitive to critical comments or one who lives life on the defensive. His or her one desire is to please God. And so when people hurt them or people malign them, their knee-jerk reaction isn't to fight back. I'll get my own back on them. They don't seek revenge or think in terms of retaliation when they've been wronged. Instead, they embrace the spirit of meekness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering. Not like the story I read of a biker gang, uh, Harley-Davidson bikers. They rode in one day on their Harleys and walked into a restaurant. And over in the corner, there was uh, a truck driver eating a plate of spaghetti, and one of the bikers decided... uh, Uh, to show off. So he went over and he picked up the plate of spaghetti off the truck driver. He dumped it on the truck driver's head and he took his cup of coffee and he poured it in his lap. Well, the truck driver looked at the man, this big hell's angel man, and he just stood up, he paid his bill and he walked out. And as he did, all of the other bikers were hollering and laughing at him. A few moments later, the waitress came over to take their order and the biker said, He wasn't much of a man, was he? And everyone laughed again. And the waiter said, well, I don't know about that, but what I do know is he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over 12 Harleys. (laughs) The truck driver, uh, he wasn't meek. Instead of driving off, he drove over (laughs) the bikes. He retaliated uh, very creatively, I must admit, but he retaliated nonetheless. So let me ask you tonight, What's your typical default attitude towards people who disagree with you or who even criticize you or mistreat you? What's your typical default when that happens to you? Maybe a boss, maybe a co-worker, maybe a neighbor, family member, friend. Is your knee-jerk reaction, okay, I'm going to give as good as I get or as bad as I get. I'm going to get my own back or become defensive. Why not? Accept Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Trust God for that situation and ask him to help you to forgive people. Even if they don't ask for forgiveness. In meekness, in humility. Ask God to enable you to endure whatever it is. And if you do, you'll you'll rule that situation instead of being ruled by it. Meekness is that quality that's demonstrated when you're dealing with unreasonable people. It's not hard to be gentle and meek when you're feeling good and you have no pressure. That's not meekness. That's just niceness. Meekness is best seen when you're under the gun. When you're up against the deadline. When you're surrounded by problems or as someone has said, hip deep in alligators and no way to drain the swamp. And you feel yourself getting frustrated. In those moments, 
meekness is self-control manifested in a gentle spirit based on the unshakable confidence uh, in God. John Ortberg has a book. It's well worth reading. It's called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. (laughs) That's a good title, isn't it? And uh, he says that we're a lot like porcupines. That prickly animal that has over 30,000 quills attached to their bodies. And each quill can be driven into an enemy. And as a general rule, porcupines have two ways of handling relationships. Either withdrawal or attack. They either head for the hills or they kind of lock and load and let go. And the truth is that each of us carry our own little arsenal of barbed quills, don't we? Ours have names like rejection, condemnation, judgment, resentment, envy, contempt. But a meek person will not only avoid flinging these kinds of quills at others, but when barbed quills like that come their way, they'll absorb them without lashing back. And if you want to test your own meekness, Don't test your actions, the things that you do. Test your reactions to the things that come your way. Look look at what Jesus said about, about your reaction to a slap in the face. What did he say? Turn the other cheek. Because this plays itself out every day, doesn't it? In our homes, in our church, places of work. If you want to see how humble you are, take note of your reactions. In addition, check out your attitude towards people who stumble and fall. There's plenty of those around. Is your reaction to those who stumble and fall along the way of life, is it one of judgment and criticism? Do you secretly delight in their failure? Does it make you think you're a little bit better by comparison? Do you revel in their embarrassment and their shame? Do you get on your high horse over the sins of others and arrogantly say, well, I told you so. I could see it coming. Only a fool would have done that. I wouldn't have been that dumb. Is your spiritual knee-jerk reaction to think judgment and punishment? Or is it to think grace and mercy? Galatians 6 and 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, that is meekly, and watch yourself that you may also be tempted. Saying in essence, hey, we're all tempted, so remember if the tables are turned On you, what would you want? Would you want punishment or would you want mercy and grace to be extended to you or to me? It says we should strive to restore that person and that we should help them in an attitude of meekness and gentleness. And it strikes me that God wants to give each of us a a meekness makeover. And it will happen in at least six areas in our journey in life with Jesus because meekness must first of necessity come from our relationship with God. We won't be naturally meek. It's a supernatural gift that comes from God in our relationship with him. But it must be exhibited in all our relationships with other people. Where should we exhibit it? In our study of the Son of God. When we first come to Christ and roll our burdens on him, then we yield to him by taking his yoke on ourselves. And we know when an ox accepts the yoke of another ox, it models meekness. The yoke may still be strong and powerful, but its power is under the control of another. Jesus is saying, if you, if you will hook up with me so we can walk side by side, we'll, we'll work together and, and we'll walk together through the trials of life as one. And as you yield to my yoke, you'll learn from me and discover that I'm meek and you will gradually become more gentle yourself. 
give me your burdens and I'll give you rest. And secondly, welcome the word of God. If you want to be meek, it's essential that you cultivate submission to God's word. In fact, the Bible is the bit and the bridle that controls our wild spirits. James 1.21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the imparted word which is able to save your souls. So how do you respond to God's word when it shines a searchlight on your heart and it exposes something that isn't right? Do you make excuses? Do you go into denial? Do you try to justify yourself? Or do you receive the word of God and try by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring your life into conformity with God's teaching in order that God might be glorified? I'm not asking you if you read the word of God. I, I hope and trust that you do. Or if you study the word of God. But rather do you meekly submit. Do you meekly submit your life to the word of God. To be patterned by it. God said in Amos that his word is a plumb line. For our lives. So are we meekly using it in that way. Or are we proudly just making our own decisions in life. According to the standards of this world in which we live. Do you follow the instruction of Proverbs 3. In all your ways acknowledge God. Do you meekly seek the Spirit's leading in every decision? Or do you proudly and foolishly lean on your own very limited understanding? Meekness and humility is evidenced, really, uh, by our willingness to submit to God's authority through his word. And then submitting to the Spirit of God. Galatians 5 mentions meekness or gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit. And fruit is not something that we do. It's what we display. It's what we show. Our responsibility is clear from Galatians 5, 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then put up with the people of God. Show your meekness by putting up with the people of God. While it's certainly true that it's easier to get close to, to someone when they have no quills to throw at you, the truth of the matter is that we all have the capacity to attack others in, in, in various ways, some, some very direct, some very subtle. But in Scripture, a meek person seeks to give grace to others and puts up with imperfect people and we all need to be reminded don't we and often that no one is perfect except God alone you know your, your spouse will disappoint you your, your kids will fail you your, your friends will let you down your church will do things that upset you at times no pastor will meet all your expectations and so at the crossroads of meekness and all of these things and more besides the question becomes which path are you going to take Will you launch some quills of condemnation? Give the cold shoulder? Or will you grant grace and display humility and meekness? Will you make that decision? Remind yourself how gentle Jesus is towards imperfect people, just like you and me. We can choose to live our lives disappointed and angry at everyone around us. Or we can be armed with the virtue of meekness and enter into the blessing of authentic Christian community together. Ephesians 4 says, be completely humble and gentle or meek. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And that doesn't mean be a bear towards people. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then lastly, you can, you can experience and demonstrate meekness by mobilizing for the mission of God. When people see Jesus' disciples living lives of meekness, they'll wonder what's going on. How can someone, how can someone put up with that? How can someone, you know, forgive that? 
Some of us are pretty harsh with those who don't know Jesus, but 1 Peter 3.15 challenges us to be ready to let people know why we have so much hope, to give a, give a reason for the hope that is within us. But it says we're to do that with meekness and with fear. And the key to being meek and the key to being honored by God and receiving his blessings, the blessings he wants to give us, is this. Always be ready. Always be ready to be used of God. Prepare yourself day and daily to be his servant in any and every situation that you find yourself in. Make up your mind to be his, his tool to be used in any way that he wants to use you. Allow yourself in meekness to be under the control and the guidance of God. And if we had this attitude that we might be used by God at any time and at any moment, then we'd wake up every morning with an excitement saying, God's going to use me today. I believe that. Teachers would get up in the morning and say, today God's going to let me teach children. I get to help them understand English and teach math and take students on a journey through history and introduce them to the marvels of biology or walk them through faith-building stories of the Bible. Nurses would, would get, go to their jobs with smiles on their faces and say, today God's going to use me to help people that need personal care. Through me, he's going to help bring healing to this weary world. Tradesmen would walk onto the job site and say to their co-workers, guys, today God's going to use my trade to bless others. Farmers would approach their duties with a confidence, today God's going to use me to provide food for everyone and give them, to give them their daily bread. You see, when we allow God to use us, however humble the way it might be, when we become meek to the point that it's all about him and his control of our lives, then God says the meek will inherit the earth. It was man's rebellion, wasn't it, in the first place? Man's self-will in the garden of Eden against God that caused him to lose the earth in the first place. But here Jesus has given us a promise. When we submit to him and his ways, he will give us the earth afresh, if you like. Stories told of a man who could have all the land that he could walk over. And one day he started out early and he grew greedy and he walked faster and faster and he began to almost run and the sun was going down uh, and he took a final giant leap to get another yard of earth for himself and then he dropped dead on the spot. And he got the land as promised but it became his grave and in the end all that he occupied was a place four feet wide, eight feet long, and six feet deep. How do Christians inherit the earth in this present life? Well, when Jesus said the meek would inherit the earth, he wasn't talking about our physical world. He wasn't saying if we're meek, if we yield to his control, we'll be rich because he'll reward us with oil wells in the Middle East or valuable property in Dublin or, or in London. There was a man sitting on the curb, crying. And when he was asked by someone going by what was wrong, he said, I just found out that Rockefeller, the richest man in the world, died today. And the person then asked, well, why are you crying? Are you one of his relatives? And the weeping man said, no, that's why I'm crying. <laughs> Jesus wasn't referring to any kind of earthly inheritance. The Bible tells us that as Christians... We're co-heirs with Christ, which means we are heirs to everything that he has. And we'll get some of it now in this life, yes, but a lot more later in the life to come. One day we'll possess a mansion in heaven, specially prepared by him for us. 
But even that isn't really what Jesus was referring to. There will be an inheritance for the meek in the sweet by and by, as well as in the nasty now and now of today. Right now it seems at times that the ungodly seem to reign and the, the meek have to take a back seat. But Jesus said that one day the meek will come into their own. However long we're in this life and whatever circumstances, good or bad, that we face, it's not over for the meek because the best is yet to come. And when we're biblically meek, when we yield every moment to God, no matter what comes in life, armed with that attitude in that moment, uh, we control the situation and the world is ours, so to speak, when we learn to trust God completely. Let me finish with this. One Sunday as they drove home from church, a little girl turned to her mother and said, Mommy, there's something about pastor's message this morning I didn't understand. And the mother said, okay, what, what, what is it? And the girl said, well, he said that God is bigger than we are. He said, God is so big that he could hold the world in his hand. Is that true? And the mother said, yes, that's, that's true. That's very true. But mommy, she said, the teacher also said that God comes to live inside of us when we believe in Jesus as our Savior. Is that true as well? And again, the mother reassured the little girl that what the pastor had said was true. And then with a puzzled look on her face, the little girl then asked, well, if God is bigger than us and if he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? That's what these Beatitudes are all about. God showing through our lives and our living. It's always been God's purpose that when he entered her li our lives, he would be allowed to so fill and control our lives that he would show through. That he would be visible in our attitudes and in our actions, but that Christ himself would be allowed to live through us. We aren't able to keep the Beatitudes no matter how we try. Uh, nobody, can, nobody can be like Jesus except Jesus, of course. But by the Holy Spirit's enabling and indwelling, he can come to live in us that he might live through us to meet the needs of a lost and hurting world. And when he does that, others will see the image of Christ shining through this veil of flesh. And the question that this beatitude poses perhaps more than the others is this. Does anyone ever see God showing through you? showing through me. These Beatitudes are not a standard for us to achieve, but a yardstick by which we can measure our submission to God and to the Holy Spirit. Our focus is to be walking in and being submissive to the Spirit, because if the Spirit is truly in control of our lives, He will manifest those characteristics through our everyday responses and reactions to whatever we have to face in life. And one of them, one of those reactions is meekness. Meekness. Meek physique of the meek. But that sort of physique that you are willing to, to live by even today. Let's pray.